I'm reading from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? And then from chapter 5, reading from verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do, you, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and every and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. Thank you, Joan. Um, kids or teenagers, there's sheets for you guys. If, have you, just give me a little wave if you've got one of those. Some of you, no? Okay. Uh, em, could you run up to the back table and just hand out, or Tara's going to do that, hand out those to, if you're a um, high schooler, there's a little sheet for you to help follow along today. How's this work? That's better. Okay. Um, yeah, it's great to uh, see you here this morning. Um, and we're going to get stuck into this right as soon as I put my passcode in. How much of an impulse buyer are you? go to the shops, you see something uh, looking, you know, pretty to wear or tasty to eat or um, 
something, some kind of gadget or gadget that's going to uh, improve your life in some fantastic way. What, what kind of an impulse buyer are you? How many books have you got on your bookshelves that you've just never read? Can't even remember the title of them. You just kind of know that they're there. Maybe you, maybe you even put them there as props to make you look more intelligent than you really are. Uh, <laughs> what about DVDs? Now, DVDs have almost completely gone by the wayside, but who's still got DVDs wrapped up in plastic somewhere in the house that they just never watched? I've even got a VHS that I've never watched. We don't even have a VHS player anymore, but I've got this pristine copy of it. It's actually a U2 concert from the 1980s but wrapped up in plastic, just sitting there, an impulse buy. What else is pictured up there? Gadgets, clothes, there's all kinds of things that we impulse buy. Sometimes the things that we impulse buy is fruit and vegetables. We think, oh, I'm going to be so healthy. And I go to you know, somewhere like Farmer Charlie's and I fill my car up with all this wonderful fruit and then a few weeks later, where do I find it? Kind of going mouldy up the back of the fridge. Are you an impulse buyer? Well, we know that God is not an impulse buyer. The price that God paid to buy our relationship with him was no impulse buy. From before the creation of the world, God's word tells us. He knew the cost and he was willing to pay that price. See, of all the ways that we can think about what God has done for us, and there are many, one way that we should think about it is that God has paid that price to buy our life. And if we believe that, that in his death and resurrection he's paid that price and he's made the complete transaction for us, then we want to remember and realize and live a fruitful life. For God to say, pay such a price to buy our lives back, well, we want to make sure that we're not just leaving that new life on the shelf for some future day. Now, you might have noticed that we actually had read for us the same, partly the same passage as last week. And uh, like I've said, we're preaching through this series, and this series was prepared uh, by a church in Brisbane, and they're very kind and sharing it out and we're starting off the year with this partly because I've still got heaps of things on my plate so it's a huge service to me but also uh, because thinking about where we're, where we're at in, in uh, the, the sins that trap us is a really you know, great way to start the year that we might grow and grow and grow beyond those things but as I came to see that we're looking at the same passage I was like oh do we really need to go over the same? How is everyone going to go when I get up and give the same reading as we had last week? But you might notice that we didn't actually delve too much into any of that fruit last week. And so that's what, partly why we're going to do that this week. We pretty much just made the case last week for the, there being a life to be lived beyond sin. But really we're thinking today, what does that life look like? And this is the kind of stuff we want to do to prime ourselves up because we're getting next week to the first of seven deadly sins. And like we said, if we take them out of context or if we just make it all about those things, we're going to miss the point. We're going to think that battling those sins is what the Christian life is all about. Well, we want to realize that that battle has already taken place, that God paid that price 
and we come at it a completely different way. See, Jesus died for that rotten, rank and repulsive fruit that's in our life and he rose to life, giving us his spirit to bring about good and beautiful, nourishing fruit in our lives. And the other reason that we want to look at this again is because we can sit through church one morning and kind of, yeah, take it in and think that's okay. Come back to it a second week, but we're going to have to go a little bit harder and a little bit deeper. And it's right that we do that. Because these sins that we're going to look at, at points this is going to get uncomfortable. Just as, you know, even more uncomfortable than it is with all the humidity that's going on today. Even more uncomfortable than that. Looking at your own life, letting God's word be a mirror into your own heart isn't always a comfortable experience. But it's one that we can do because God has paid the price. He wants to bring about that good fruit in our life. So while it might be uncomfortable, just like when you've got to clean out the crisper in your fridge that has all that manky, rotten fruit in it, I want to challenge you that when you're tempted to choose comfort over actually getting stuck in and and really having God do work in your heart and in your life, when you're tempted to choose comfort, that, that you would let God in, that you would let God there. And it's not just a, a, a challenge to do that, but it's actually wise that we would do that. Because I tell you what, if you don't do that, what, what happens in your fridge? If you don't do that, if you just leave it there, well, then it goes from bad to much worse, to the point where the whole thing turns black. I don't think I've ever seen that happen. But you can imagine what it's like. Whatever is going on inside our hearts will always come out. So we want to allow God in there. This is like another chance to prime ourselves for thinking about the sin, thinking about the seven deadly sins. Prime ourselves for that and prime ourselves as we think, are we keeping in step with the Spirit, with what God's doing in our life? So like I've said, this week and last week, the topic is all about thinking, preparing us for the seven deadly sins, just to remember what they are, just to remember what we're going to be looking at. The seven deadly sins are pride, anger, envy, lust, gluttony, sloth, and greediness. And so we're still in doing the big picture stuff and thinking today, what does that fruitful life look like? Well, the key is with this fruitful life is it grows exactly the same way that it starts. See, Paul himself in Galatians has already written that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That I life where it's all about himself has been crucified. I no longer live but Christ now lives in me. Trusting himself, he's done away with, and his new life started trusting in Jesus. See, it's all about faith. He goes on. This life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. This new life that we have is all based on faith. Faith where Jesus is calling the shots in our lives. And why wouldn't we listen to Jesus? Paul tells us that he loved us. 
He gave himself for us. He is a good Lord. He's a safe place to bring this stuff to. There's no impulse buy in what God did for us. The love of the cross, the love of his death and resurrection for us. That's Paul's story. That was the Galatian church story. Well, at least it was. That reading that Joan had for us this morning, the first one from chapter 3, the Galatians had been conned. They'd been sold a rotten story and they started to trust again in themselves instead of Jesus and him crucified. And so Paul, for them, brings, brings the Spirit into the picture. And he asks them, how did you receive God's Spirit? How did you have God come and work in your life? Was it by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Was it you or was it Jesus? Now, in case you don't realize, I want you to know that belief in Jesus is always a work of God. When you came to first trust in Jesus, God was already working in your heart to bring about that faith, which should give you great assurance because that means that that belief is unwavering. If it's God's work, if it's what God has done, well, then it's a sure thing. So he asked them, was it you or was it Jesus, knowing full well that it was Jesus? And then he goes on and writes to them, Are you so, so foolish? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? See, it's almost as if the Galatians thought that, the, that God had started them in this race, but now they had to finish it, like they were in some kind of relay team. Like God had swum the first lap of the pool, and now they've got to dive in and do the next Next three, until they finally get home. That's not what it's like to be a Christian. Jesus and his spirit from start to finish is how we live this Christian life. Another way to think about it is that God will grow you in the same gospel soil that he planted you in. That's where you're going to go on as a Christian. The same soil that gives you life is the one that will grow your life. The same love that you met in Jesus to start your Christian life is the love that will sustain you in that life. Sometimes I hear people say, I still hear this, that at our church we talk about the cross, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus a lot. Well, this is, this is the whole point. This is the very reason that we do. I made this point only a couple of weeks ago, but I can't stress it enough. This is what it is to follow Christ. See, sometimes people will be tempted to think, I need something deeper to really grow myself as a Christian. I'm in need of an experience or I'm in need of some kind of greater wisdom from God's word. And that's what the Galatians are essentially believing here. I mean, for them, they're looking back to Old Testament rituals and practices, but we can fill that in with all kinds of things. But the point that the word, God's word, Paul's letter here, makes back to us is that it is in the gospel that we are saved and it is in that gospel that we will grow. So, with that in mind, let's do the contrast that Paul does in chapter 5. Let's have a look at it. 
Because Paul says that there is fruit that comes from this, fruit that is evident in someone's life. First and foremost, he tells us that that fruit is love. Now, you can't read that word in Galatians and not remember that verse that we've already touched on, that I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but he lives in me. That you won't remember the love that he spoke about, the love of what Jesus did, who loved him, loved me and gave himself for me. You can't forget that. And it's that same self-sacrificing love that will come out in our life. The Spirit will grow that love in us, loving the way that Jesus did, loving people actually for their good, for their sake, and not our own. As a believer, God is growing that love in you. He moves on and he says joy. Paul describes the joy in the chapter before this one. And if you go back and read it in your own time, talking about what God will do, the hope that we have, the new Jerusalem, the heavens, the new heavens and the earth, the reality of the resurrection, the joy that comes from knowing, the certainty of what Jesus has done. Well, then that is an anchor, isn't it? An anchor in all of life's storms. What's the kid's song? You might have learned this when you were a little kid. With Christ in my vessel, I can smile at the storm. With Jesus in my life, it brings about a joy that allows me to look at whatever my circumstances are and be so secure in him that I have a joy to smile at it. It's quite similar with the next part of the fruit, isn't it? Peace. Right back at the start of Galatians, Paul's greeted them with the peace that comes from Jesus of being rescued out of this evil world. Beneath all the choppy of waters living in this world, we actually know that we have still peaceful waters because of what Jesus has done and God is growing that peace in each of you. And so you can go through this list. You see the character that God is growing in you and you actually start to realise, I don't know whether you've realised this, this list is a perfect description of Jesus. Jesus is love, Jesus is joy, Jesus is peaceful, Jesus is patient or forbearing, Jesus is kind, Jesus is... It is Jesus. This is about forming the likeness of Jesus in each of our lives. And how does this fruit come about? Well, it's from Jesus' very own spirit given into each of our lives. Read the end of any of the Gospels or read the start of the book of Acts. You can see that the great promise of Jesus to anyone that would follow him was that he would dwell with them. That God would come into an individual's lives and bring about this change, this transformation. Think about that next one that's highlighted, forbearance, or, or sometimes we translate it as patience. And you can really see that in Jesus, can't you? The ability to suffer without losing the plot. To even be wronged and not become bitter. 
Now, some of us might naturally be loving, might naturally be joyful in our disposition, might naturally be peacemakers. How many of us naturally come up against immense suffering without becoming bitter? And we start to see that truly, for any of this to really come about in our life, it's got to be a miracle of God. That's it. God is growing patience in you as your faith is in him. Keep going through this list. Kindness and goodness. They're integrity words, aren't they? Talking about someone's character, their virtues. That's like saying that you're you're the same person when you're with one group as when you're with another. You're the same person here on Sunday morning as you are in your workplace through the rest of the week. Or with your family as you're trying to wrangle them to get them to church on Sunday morning. Are you the same person? Same in private as in public. This is big, isn't it? This is what I said. It gets uncomfortable to start to dig around in our lives like this. But it's not a small life that Jesus freed you for. It wasn't a small cost that God paid in giving his own son. And so it will not be a small thing that he wants to bring about by paying that price. God wants to grow kindness and goodness in each of us. God is growing faithfulness, having courage, being a courageous person. God's growing gentleness, bringing about humility in us. Loving others like he did. And lastly, and and quite crucially, that idea of having self-control. And we're going to come back to that in a minute, but you can pretty much see if you've got those other eight things covered, well then self-control will flow from it, isn't it? In fact, they all work together. This is not a big mixture of fruit, like a fruit salad or a fruit bowl. This is one singular fruit. See, it's not like a fruit quiz. It's not like we look at our life and think, well, I'm a little bit loving, but I kind of lack patience. I can be joyful on most days, except, you know, Monday morning, because that's when I've got to go to work. It's not like taking a quiz on our life. It is the one fruit that is grown by God's Spirit. Some of us are naturally more one or the other. I've already said that. You might naturally be a courageous person. You might have things in your makeup, in your in your physical build, in your personality, that means that you can stand up in a time of trouble. Or you might just naturally be a very honest person. You might naturally be caring, but it takes something supernatural to grow this complete fruit in anyone's life. Every aspect from love to self-control. It's not a personality quiz. It is a personality revolution. A complete remaking that goes on in our hearts and our minds and in the way that we live. In fact, it's so centered on Jesus, isn't it, that it's dying to our old life. I've been crucified. I no longer live, but I'm going to let him live in me. He's the one that's going to live in me. That's the fruit. That's where God He's wanting to take every single person that has faith in him. 
He's bought them at that price that he might grow that fruit in their life. But he set up a contrast. We've skipped over those earlier parts and we're going to come back to them now in chapter 5. The rotten fruit. The rotten fruit. The acts of the flesh. Or the acts of the sinful nature like Jones' translation had. They're really the acts of trusting. Trusting just in ourselves. It's the us without Jesus. And it actually starts in the same spot. The list starts with love. Well, in a roundabout way. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, the fruit of the I life, it's a disordered love, isn't it? Sexual immorality, disordered love. Impurity, disordered love. Debauchery, it's, it's a false love. And really the heart of it is that next word, idolatry. False loves, loving things. Loving things more than God. Just like Eve and Adam in the garden, loving the thought that they could be the ones that get to call the shots. The thing about idolatry, though, is it doesn't just stop there. Idolatry takes the form of loving good things as if they're ultimate things. That's where it really gets challenging. Because when we love good, as good things like they're ultimate things, they actually lead us toward well, these acts of the flesh. Hatred, jealousy, anger. See, where the Spirit brings love and self-control, or a love-controlled self, the acts of the flesh, they bring about selfish ambition. Destructive to others as you just go about getting whatever you want. Now, as we go through the seven deadly sins, we're going to get into the detail of this kind of stuff there. But we can already see how big the contrast is. The acts of the flesh is all about that self-centered life that just without any intervention is the life that we would all lead. And it's the life that we battle. The acts of the flesh, idolatry and selfish ambition, cause a completely out of control life. But the contrast is set up. The fruit of the Spirit brings love, brings real love, brings Jesus-shaped love and self-control. See, like I've already said, sin isn't just the bad things in our lives but it's also making idols of the good things that end up just as rotten. What about when we do that with our family? What if family is your idol at the absolute centre of your heart? Well, what happens? If, if you make family your idol, if say, say you make your children your idol or, or your parenting, unless your kids are just happy all the time or content or fulfil your dreams, Unless that's the case, which is impossible, you'll be completely crushed. Or you will crush them trying to shape them into what you hope for them to be. Every little problem they encounter will just completely wipe you out. What about when we make money our idol? 
at the center of our heart controlling us, don't we end up workaholics? Doesn't it lead us to do unethical things? Doesn't it put us in competition with other people that also love money over who has more? Isn't that where lying and cheating comes from, to try to get ahead? And what's the ultimate foolishness about this? Well, when are we ever going to be satisfied if that's what we live for? What about this one? This really hurt me when I had to think about it. The approval of others. What about when that's at the centre of your heart controlling you? Do you feel like nothing unless people approve of you? See, when that's your idol, when criticism comes, it won't hurt you. It will destroy you. It'll be devastating. See, the thing about idolatry is it's a completely disordered life. And it leads to hate and destruction. Self-hate and hate of the people around you. So even good things, when sucked into the centre of our heart, become deadly things. It's not the life that God bought any of us for. So here's the challenge. When what you see in your life at the centre is a rank, mouldy piece of fruit, that is one of these ugly, disordered things, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? See, when we think of it in terms of the, you know, disgusting mouldy vegetable in the back of our fridge, we would never pull it out and prepare our family dinner with it. We would never pull out that, you know, half-sucked mango that's been in there for three weeks and finish it off for dessert. So extend that metaphor. Why would we ever dig around in our old way of living to find satisfaction? Why would we sink our teeth in to the kind of life that Jesus died to deal with? You don't raid the fridge for bad fruit. You don't raid your old life for satisfaction. See, the heart of sin, sin is a very helpful word, isn't it? Because right in the middle of it, it tells us what it is. It's I, it's self-centeredness, self-absorption, self-justification, all instead of Jesus. But the thing is, we no longer live. Christ lives in us. Quite Likely, you've asked someone today, how are you going? It's quite a polite thing to do. It might even make you feel good. Someone asked me how I'm going. That's nice. They care about me. But we actually, we get this all wrong in how we think about it as Christians, I think. That image there, I introduced it last week. If we're honest, there's basically two ways we can answer that question. How are we going? Well, I'm going well, thank you. My head's above water, might be the expression. Or I'm not going great. I'm kind of sinking. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm drowning a little bit. And that's fine. That's the seasons of life that we go through, isn't it? But when our life is completely centered on ourselves, or even others or on our idols or whatever we've put 
in place of God in the middle of our life, well, how we're doing in, a, in the good times when our life is centered on ourselves, we're going to take all the glory for that. And when we're sinking and we're under the water and our lives are completely centered on ourselves, we're going to be devastated. We'll literally feel like we're drowning, spiraling into the deepest kind of depressions. But the thing is, God changes that. The gospel changes that. See, when we truly understand that in Christ, God comes into the center of our life, then no matter what season we're in, well, then we can get through it. See, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the cry that echoes through the whole book of Galatians, if you read it, the letter of Galatians. And it's with all the love and joy and peace and patience that Jesus brings into our lives. All circumstances, whether good or bad. So how do we actually live this good life? I promise that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Not about our circumstances. But it's about good or bad fruit. They hold the passage together. You can see the contrast there. Either side of the good fruit list and the bad fruit list. Paul pictures this as a walk. Wherever we are, we're walking. And it's all about walking in that right direction. Walking by the Spirit. This is where we take the message, what we know and understand and believe what Jesus did for us and let God bring it to life in the day-to-day living of our life. Let God bring it to life by his Spirit, walking in the right direction. So I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, Paul writes. You won't live that old life, walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit in the new life. It's all about this walk, walking the way that you started, toward Jesus, eyes on Him, learning love along the way, learning that self-forgetfulness that lets us get through it all. Just picture someone stepping out in faith to receive Jesus for the first time. Picture what that was like for you. Remember that when you got wherever it was in your heart and in your emotions and in your understanding to fully accept Jesus into your own life, and when you received that for yourself, that wasn't the destination. That was the start of the walk in this new life, walking by the Spirit. Like I've already said, it was God's prompting that all happening. God's spirit prompting. So continue in that walk. There comes to choosing between sin and God. What will we choose? The old life and the new life. And we actually probably have a culture that's a bit unhelpful on this. We kind of see life like these constant sets of temptations where will I go this way or will I go that way will I listen to the little devil on my shoulder or the little angel in my ear but the truth of it is 
we're going to take the next step based on how we took the last 10 steps, how we took the last 100 steps. Keeping in step with the Spirit is the truth that you've already lost or won this battle in how you're already walking. And the truth of it is that you started a walk when you accepted Jesus. So it's as simple as keeping on that walk. That's why you can never walk anywhere beyond the cross. You can never walk anywhere beyond what he's done. You need to be grounded in that. You will grow in the same soil that you were planted in. There's plenty of stories like this, but one of the glory moments uh, in the rugby league was Jonathan Thurston lining up for a deciding kick in a state of origin game. Now, like I mentioned, some of this material comes from a church, and that church is in Brisbane. And so there's an obvious bias in some of this material. But this analogy is spot on. See, when Jonathan Thurston lines up in the heat of the moment, he's retired now, isn't he? But when he would line up to take penalty kicks or goal kicks to gain two points, which can often mean the difference between tying up the score or getting in the lead or even winning the game when it's right on the bell, he's got to perform under pressure. He's got to perform under pressure and having it come up on the big screen, printed out the little part of the rule book that tells him that he's got to kick it between those two posts to be able to get the points for his team, is going to be of absolutely no use to him right there in that moment. In fact, if he had written that all over his bedroom wall, thou must kick between the two posts when taking a goal kick, That's not going to have helped him at all. What's going to have helped him is the thousand times that he's practiced it that year in the lead up to his games. It's already won or lost on the training field the thousand times before he's done it in preparation. Every little part of the walk that you take in the new life, in the spirit, prepares you for the next step and the next step, and the next step. That's the invitation to come and dig around in your heart and deal with those big, broad sins. That's the invitation, that you do it in the context of walking in a new life, a new life that has been bought by Jesus and is being formed by Jesus. To learn Jesus' love as your habit, as your instinct, walking step by step with Jesus, keeping in step, aware of what he's doing in your life, so that when this moment comes, you're already stepping in the right direction. So that fuel moments arise when you would have to do that. Now remember, this is not a walk in the park. This is, a, this is the walk on the narrow road that Jesus spoke about. Walking in enemy territory, a world that is opposed to God. And hour by hour, increasingly, as we get more connected, more devices all around us, we're feeding on images and stories and messages that reinforce this world opposed to God. The ones that will grow habits not of the selfless life of Jesus, but the old self-centered life. One way to think of it is there's pretty much an app for every one of those seven deadly sins, isn't there? You want pride? Get on Facebook. 
You want to talk about, what was the second one there? Anger. Get on Evan's head notice board. <laughs> or Twitter if you're a little bit more sophisticated. Little, little bit more sophisticated. What about envy? Get on Instagram. Look at what everyone else is doing. That'll help feed that, won't it? Want to get on lust? It's Tinder or something like that. Gluttony. Well, we don't have Uber Eats here, but it's not that hard to get down to any of the takeaways, is it? Laziness. Just turn on Netflix. There's an app for all of those sins. Now, a couple of those apps, I hope that you don't even ever install on your device. But all of them are ones that we need to rethink because they all unwittingly train us in that self-centered life. That's why we're going to talk about how we rethink those habits, that we might be listening to the Spirit, that God's voice would be the one that we are hearing day by day, hour by hour, as we confront each of these things. And do you know what's one of the greatest habits that you can put in place? The habit of getting here on every possible Sunday that you can. God's not keeping attendance, but God is growing you as a community. Part of the reason that we've introduced the teams is so that when we're serving even at church, we're actually doing that together. The reason that we have you know, a whole other hour here just standing around eating is so that we're mingling together because God is doing something among us as our lives are shared with one another. The habit of doing life in our gospel community groups and having God's word at the centre of that. The habit of feeding on God's word and praying to him. Or even the habit of fasting that you might focus on your prayer and your hearing from God's word. Even the habits of sleep and rest. Being thankful. Being generous. Confessing. Owning up. Keeping short accounts with people. Habits of not walking alone because the walk that Paul spoke of isn't just a walk that you are doing, it's a walk that y'all are doing like the Southern Americans say. It's a your life. It's all together, in this together, walking with Jesus. Because here's the kicker. How can you love without other people around? How can you show self-control without other people around? This fruit is not just for you to look like a pretty old fruit tree. It's to nourish the lives of the people that are around you and to hold out the gospel of life to those that don't know Jesus yet. Not to just be experienced by you, but to experience by us. And you know what? The rotten fruit harms. But even if you can't find the motivation to have God grow you more like Jesus, do it for the sake of the rest of us, please. Because the rotten fruit is harmful, but the good fruit it's healing, it's inspiring, and it's refreshing to the rest of us. The fruit is what you serve up to your brothers and sisters here and as you meet through the week. A couple of challenges just around this all off. 
The first challenge is to actually do that audit on your life. Take that time to be honest about your life with yourself. Actually look at the data. Look at where you've spent your money. Look at where you've browsed on the internet or what you, you know, your iPhone. It gives you like the report of what you've been looking at all through the week. How much time, it's, it's quite, you know, it's pretty scary that they keep that much data on you. But look at it for yourself. Look at who you're really listening to. Reflect on what it reveals about your heart and where it is. And do this in the community that you're in. Do this with other people. Be honest with them about it. That they might keep you accountable. That they might encourage you. They might help you to grow. Do it in the spirit of grace too with the desire to be continuing to walk, knowing that you're already walking in that grace. And the second and the last challenge for the day. Sometimes the ways we need to grow are actually best seen by someone else, someone who loves Jesus and loves us and can speak into our life. Are you bold enough Would you ask a trusted friend to courageously and and gently answer this question, where do I need to grow to be more like Jesus? Now, just so that we're clear, I haven't empowered any of you to go and point out something about someone else. Not what I'm suggesting. But what I am suggesting is that you ask, that you ask someone that you trust, How would your life change if the fruit of God's Spirit was more growing in your life, was growing more in your life? How can I, where can you see in my life ways that I can keep taking those steps into the freedom that Jesus brought me for? A couple of pretty concrete challenges that we can take away from today. I hope that you can see that that's the freedom that we have this side of the cross, walking in the new life that he's given us, that no area would be off limit because he died and paid the price for all of it. Let's pray to that end. Father, we thank you and praise you and honour you and glorify you for the extent of your work, Lord, that you would not just rescue us, but, Lord, that you would set us on a new path and, Lord, that you would empower us in your spirit, spirit, Speak into our lives. Be with us. Comfort us and guide us. Lord, be our counsellor. Spirit, reveal in our hearts where we need more of you and where we need to say no. No to our I life, to our self-centered life. Lord, we confess that we trust in things that you don't tell us to trust in and Lord, we trust, we don't trust in you when we should. Lord, help us to know the comfort and the peace of your love and your forgiveness. Lord, that we would know that you're holding us as you lead us on in this walk. 
Lord, we commit all this to you. Trusting in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.